As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Shamrock, presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Sign up at BetMGM.com using the promo code THEATHLETICPOD. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by my co-host Matt Fortuna today. Uh, special guest, former Notre Dame walk-on receiver and former Notre Dame walk-on since he went on scholarship, Chris Fink. Uh, we wanted to have had him on the show for a while, uh, but the fact there was an actual fox on a college football <laughs> field really uh, put that... <laughs> kind of spoke that into existence. Chris, I guess first, thanks for uh, taking time to us. catch people up on kind of what you're up to um, as you're sort of kind of going through the NFL grind, trying to stay with it and, and catch on. Yeah. Um, first of all, thank you guys for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, should be fun getting to talk some Notre Dame football with you guys. But um, yeah, so basically I'm in my second year trying to play in the NFL. Um, kind of been plagued by injuries a little bit here and there. Um, so I had recovered from, you know, any injuries I had after the first year I was feeling really good was at the Kansas city chiefs all summer and playing well. And, you know, then just went to training camp and got hurt again. So I got let go and pretty much since then been rehabbing and staying in shape and hoping I get another chance this season. Um, it's pretty volatile. We'll see if anything comes through, you know, teams work out guys throughout the year, um, you know, having missed the preseason, that definitely hurts me because there's no film out there for me. But, um, you know, I'm still uh, working at it, not giving up yet and staying in shape and hoping something comes through. Chris, this is a huge day for the pod. I'm sure if you're a listener, you know what a groupie Pete Sampson is of yours. And uh, <laughs> your senior year coincided with the first year of this. So it, it was uh, a lot of Chris Fink talk on the Shamrock. So thanks for yeah. joining us. Early. <laughs> Early adopter, I like to think. Yeah, you know, the indie, he, Pete likes to say, uh, for every analogy, he likes to call it, he was the indie band. He was on the indie band before they went mainstream. I told him that might work for a former walkout. It won't work for Kyle Hamilton, who was a five-star recruit. But, um, what, I mean, I, I think a lot of people who, who have followed your journey right now probably wouldn't be too surprised to see you on the, on the precipice of the NFL. But, I mean, you go back five, six years, you're a walkout at Notre Dame. Can you kind of just take us through that path of – what led you there? Why you always thought you could do everything you did and just how much you had to overcome to get there? Yeah. Um, so I didn't get recruited very heavily at all out of high school. I didn't have any scholarship offers or anything like that. But um, 
you know, I played on a good team that had a lot of good players, including Nick Coleman, who ended up playing uh, defensive back for Notre Dame. And, you know, he was a scholarship guy. So um, through guys like him, there was a lot of uh, eyes of college coaches on our team. So I got some ricochet attention via Nick Coleman and Coach Kelly was at school one day to see him and my head coach, Ed Domsites, introduced me to him. Um, I thought he was just kind of, you know, here's here's Brian Kelly, meet him. It'll be pretty cool to meet him, you know. But uh, in the middle of the conversation, Coach Kelly says, you know, do you want to play big-time college football? And I still at this point thought that he was talking to me, like, conversationally because I was at a point where I was thinking – you know, I'm not getting a lot of opportunities where I could play big time college football. I want to play ball, but I don't want to go somewhere just to play football, you know, because there are a lot of like D3 schools coming in and seeing me. So I answered really honestly. I just said, I think so. And looking back on it, I mean, what a bonehead answer because he was <laughs> an offer to me to um, apply and walk on, which he explained after I said that. He goes, you know, why don't you apply over the weekend and, uh, what do you think about walking on? And then like everything totally switched from, I go, Oh my gosh, he's actually talking to me about this. Like I'm not just meeting him. So um, that's kind of how I ended up at Notre Dame. And um, I mean, really kind of fell in my lap a little bit. So I'm super grateful for how it all turned out and, you know, love my time there and love playing football there and love the coaches and my teammates and the school and everything. It's just perfect. Well, to go back to my early adoption of Chris Fink, like I remember going to practices, you were wearing 27 and talking to other reporters and be like, who is 27 and why is he like punking all these scholarship safeties? Like we just wondered like, why are these other guys on scholarship and 27 isn't? So uh, ultimately that, that worked out. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about a guy that worked at your position uh, Avery Davis, who's sort of grown into a captain, into a really reliable part of the offense, now out for the year with the ACL. And I think a lot of times we, when we talk to younger players, we we ask them, like, do you even know what Avery Davis's story is? Because they, they just sort of met him after he was already an established receiver. But, like, what what do you remember about AD earlier in his career and getting to know him? And what's it sort of been like to watch him have the success that he's had this year, but also obviously last year with a huge catch against Clemson in the first game. Yeah, I have a crazy amount of respect for Avery. Um, and I'm sure a lot of the fans do in terms of, you know, the big plays he's made for us uh, last year and this year. But, um, you know, the thing about watching college football is you don't see what's going on, um, you know, behind the scenes and everything. So you, you see what's going on, on on the field on game day. So, you know, people appreciate what he's doing there, but they don't appreciate everything it took for him to get there. I mean, he came in as a quarterback, um, you know, it was third string, fourth string, whatever it is. They move him around because he's such a good athlete trying to get him in different places. They put him at running back. They put him at defensive back. They put him back at running back, back to defensive back to receiver, defensive back. I mean, he's played probably four positions, but he's changed positions maybe eight times. And You know, the way things go these days, that's like number one indicator guys just run to the transfer portal. You know what I mean? They they mm-hmm. uh, they don't see an end of it. You know, they, they don't really see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, I'm going to get out of here. I'll go play somewhere else where I can get on the field right away. But, I mean, what a testament to Avery's work ethic and his resolve, just being able to go through all that and not complain once. I didn't see any complaints from him. 
And he worked hard when he was at receiver, at DB, at quarterback, at running back, whatever it was. And, you know, he finally found his niche in the slot and has been making huge plays for the team. And um, I'm really heartbroken for for him and his injury. And, um, you know, just just going back to how I talked about, I mean, if there's anybody who can handle it, it's him. But, gosh, I, I've, I'm devastated for him. On a slightly you know, happier note, I mean, you, you've played when you played Notre Dame when Tommy Reese was a quarterbacks coach. You've played obviously for Dell Alexander as a receivers coach. You played in some version of this offense, even though there's a different coordinator at the time. What, what is it like getting acclimated with this offense? How nuanced is it? How tough is it for for a younger guy to come in and not master it, but but to truly grasp it and understand it early on? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult coming in as a freshman, especially you know coming from different high school systems could be a huge adjustment. It was for me. I mean, we were running plays from the sideline in and just running the triple options. It was a totally new thing for me. I mean, I'm sure most of the the guys who come in have something similar in high school, but but it is difficult. Um, and it, it really is up to – as a freshman, you're going to learn as much as you put the time into. You know, you don't get as many reps to start out, so you don't – it doesn't get kind of burned in your mind. That's the easiest way to learn, at least in my experience. So – you have to uh, really be on your stuff and, and know it like the back of your hand so that when you do get in, um, you know, you know, what you're not only do you know what you're doing, but you can make a play. Cause if you're running around, you know, unsure of yourself, you're not going to make plays. Um, and uh, the other thing with, I guess, young guys is a lot of times, you know, we obviously have older guys who have got a starting role and, the first place they ask young guys to step up is to fill in when those guys go down. So um, not go down or, you know, get tired. But so the, the way that that plays into it is if you're the guy who is whatever, the fifth best receiver and you're a freshman, that means you're, you're coming in for anybody who, who needs a blow. That means you got to know every spot to fill in and, and know what you're doing whenever they need you. So that's another tough, tough thing. But um, And that's all just, you know, perfect scenario if you want to be able to be the guy who gets plugged in wherever you can go. I mean, obviously guys have their own position that they specialize in and learn. But, um, yeah, it definitely is difficult, um, not impossible. And, you know, if you're prepared when the opportunity presents itself and you make plays, I mean, you get rewarded. You've seen that with – uh, Lorenzo Styles this year he's been making a few plays and as you've seen that he's been getting more opportunities and I'm sure he'll be getting some more with Avery down now and um, I'm excited to see what he does is the uh you, you've played slot you've played outside I mean is one particularly more difficult to master than another or is it all just sort of like a different style of work yeah I'd say it's more just a different style of work I mean the amount of mental ability it takes is pretty similar in both um you know there's maybe a few more things in the slot with like uh option routes and things like that but you have a few of those outside honestly so it, it really i would say it kind of evens out it's just a different um type of way to play based on outside or inside Chris, can you tell us a little bit about Jake Max, the apparel company that, that you're a part of right now how that got started and 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 the mission behind it yeah, sure. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, so Jake Max was an apparel company started by my friend Tyler Greenberg. I met him in a social entrepreneurship class while I was at school. Um, 
It's called Jake Max, named after his twin cousins, Jake and Max, who have something called Fragile X Syndrome. So basically the the brand is an idea to uh, produce the designs of people with disabilities in the spirit of Jake and Max. Um, So like, you know, T-shirts, hoodies, hats, whatever, just take the artwork of, of people with disabilities and and put it on a platform and share the stories of the artists and, uh, you know, build a community where people are wearing the art and, you know, the, the artists really, uh, love to see people wearing it and sharing it. So, um, it was his idea. I heard about it in class, thought it was really cool. And he needed some help at the time, um, with some finances stuff, you know, filing taxes and all that. So it was, it was kind of a crash course for me and figuring out how to do some of that stuff. But, um, uh, I've helped out where I could there and um, we've now, you know, it was just me and him at first. Now he's got a, a big team of a bunch of people that are doing really good work on it and uh, expanding it and finding new artists and everything. But it was just a really cool idea I heard from him. And um, I was, you know, I've been blessed to be involved in a small part. So what about the the opportunity resonated with you like that? It felt like a little bit of a calling to get involved. Yeah. So, uh, coincidentally with his twin cousins, Jake and Max, I have two twin cousins, Jake and Luke who are on the autism spectrum. So that just felt like a a little coincidence there. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, me and a bunch of my friends in, in high school, we were, um, every weekend in the winters doing this thing called polar bears is basically like a basketball team for kids with down syndrome and, um, just kind of really, uh, have a love for that special needs community and um just finding someone else who who shared that and was uh supporting it in a tangible way was pretty exciting to me looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. What's it mean for you right now, on a slight lighter note, to to see uh, Wapu merch available for sale and to see the word being (laughs) spread um, throughout not just Notre Dame Nation, but the the actual nation? (laughs) I mean, I love it, obviously. I mean, the, uh, the NIL opportunities are abound for everyone. So um, it's been really fun. I, I've had the merch forever, as you probably know. But, uh, you know, we, we used to make the joke that you had to pay 64 k to get any of it, and it was pretty exclusive. But uh, now, that, now that they can uh, take that money and, you know, I don't really know what they're doing with it when they sell it, probably putting it in like a, a general WAPU fund and uh, using it for whatever – whatever they see fit, but probably um, a keg. Yeah. What did you say? I said probably a keg. Yeah. Whatever, whatever debauchery they're getting into, they're probably definitely <laughs> into the, uh, the merchandise sales, but uh, yeah, I think it's really cool and um, pretty fun opportunity for those guys. 
Yeah, it's a, that group seems to be gets more organized and more high profile over the year. I feel like it's losing some of its like, indie band. Uh, to go back to <laughs> indie band references, so like you got uh, Milk Vincent, like is big time now. We got. Chase Kettering with uh, getting social shout outs from Marcus Freeman and the Notre Dame football account. Like Wapu is like, I think when you were here, it was a little more, more low profile. Yeah, it definitely was. It was a little bit more underground when I got to school. And, um, yeah. and, you know, we started, you know, we started doing some fun things with it, like having merch and stuff like that. So people would see that around the Goog. And I think that created a bit of a buzz within the program about it. So uh, even the guys who aren't walk-ons get excited about it. And, the, you know, there's just something about it um you, you want to be a part of even though you know you want to be on scholarship obviously but, <laughs> yeah. but it's 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 a fun group like all the guys are cool and and you know they they work hard and contribute to the team but it's just kind of a special little niche within Notre Dame football and and then obviously with the growth of social media people people kind of put it out there and you know you see it wonder what is it and the Twitter account's pretty funny it used to be I mean not that it's not funny now but back before Twitter was like policed i guess as it is now like, i guess if, if you want to scroll like way back in the wapu twitter account probably like a few years before i got there it's some of the funniest tweets that i've ever seen um but yeah it's 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 a fun group and it is becoming a little mainstream what we in the google we, we refer to that as industry so like milk wearing a beating <laughs> sleeve and being like on all the all the instagram videos like that qualifies him as industry so um yeah, it's 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 fun to see the Wapu guys get some love and, and guys like Chase Ketter get in there and make a make a play on the field and everybody go nuts for him. That's really what it's all about is everybody wants to contribute to the team in any way possible, whether that's on game day or on scout team. And, and when it becomes both, it's really, really a fun opportunity. Chris, I, I think the one thing like America can, can agree on is like nothing's cooler um, than watching those preseason camp videos when walk-ons get awarded scholarships. Um, whether you're familiar with the person's story or not, I think it just resonates with everybody. You obviously were a part of that. Um, take us through that. I mean, I remember, if my memory serves correctly, I think it was right after a series of rests. Like, there was a lot of tension around the program, and that video pops up on our feed, and it's like, oh, this is awesome. And, like, I think fans were familiar with you as a player. You weren't a no-name, but, um, you know, being in the moment, I mean, how surprised were you? What were the emotions like? Can you kind of take us through that? Yeah. Um, so you are right. It was right after a, a series of arrests in our program, just kind of a, a really bad weekend um, for everybody, you know, waking up and seeing that on whatever Saturday, Sunday morning it was. But um, yeah, it was that it was my uh, sophomore year, right before my sophomore season. I'd had a good camp and I want to throw it back to, you know, thank you, Pete, for being an early adopter. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I remember seeing some, you know, you, you would put out like hashtag team fink or whatever, which, uh, <laughs> you know, I think at least in some small part played into uh, my getting a scholarship my sophomore. I mean, the, the thing was, it was kind of funny. I, every time you guys were there being the media at practice, like I would have my best practice just coincidentally. Okay. And then you <laughs> would ask Coach Kelly something about me. And then that, you know, it's just kind of like a, a, you know, stone collecting moss rolling down a hill, whatever that <laughs> analogy is. But uh, it's the ultimate NIL deal here before the NIL. Exactly. So I, yeah. I did want to express my appreciation for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was, it was after I had a good camp. I was feeling good about how I was playing. And um, I was thinking maybe that year I could get on special teams and prove my worth on the field and get a scholarship the next year. Um, 
And yeah, so we just had a bunch of guys get arrested, which was awful. And then it was the last day at camp and, um, coach Kelly after practice was talking about, he, he framed me getting a scholarship with like, we're losing a guy, which he meant like Wapu nation is losing a guy. But when he was saying that, I go, Oh my gosh, another guy's getting in trouble. Like <laughs> this weekend cannot get any worse. And then like the tone of what he was saying shifted a little bit. And then, you know, he said, I got a scholarship and, and the guys, you know, jumped around me and celebrated. And I got to, you know, call my parents and call my family and tell them about it and deliver the good news. So it was, it was a big surprise. Um, something I was really hoping to achieve at my time in Notre Dame. And, um, I felt really grateful that it happened earlier than I had planned. Um, Oh, and then, uh, you guys will appreciate this. Um, so Bleacher Report was working for us that year. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. They were there making like sick edited videos back when that was all the rage on Twitter. And, um, unfortunately we gave him a four and eight season to work with. So it wasn't, as, wasn't as fun as it probably would have been on one of our better years. But so Bleacher Report wanted to make a video for me getting a scholarship. I, Jesse Bon Jovi told me this cause I guess they pitched it to the, the team and the school. They wanted to have a plane fly over the practice field and send a skydiver out of it, holding a scholarship letter and parachute onto the field, interrupting practice and walk up to me and hand it to me. And whoever it was that said no, the school or the team, whatever, somebody said no. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't really mind just uh, kind of being without a spectacle and, you know, just with the team after practice on a knee. And um, it was a really fun moment for me. That's really cool. Um, I did want to ask you about Dell Alexander because he's like we don't really know him that well because he's not there's not a lot of media access with assistant coaches and I I think that the fan base is sort of like unsure like I I don't still think people really know him so like you played for him you were developed with him you knew him well enough that I remember you throwing a medicine ball at him at training camp when you guys were doing punt return <laughs> which I enjoyed um, like what's he like as a coach um, like what what's the, the strength of his skill set as sort of a developer of talent? Yeah. Coach Alexander is really one of my favorite coaches I've ever played for. Um, he just has such a care for his players. Um, and, you know, it, a lot of times it doesn't seem like that at first, you know, he's pretty tough on guys. Um, but really that just kind of builds a, a love between player and coach and, um, you know, high demands and meeting those demands and, and setting the standard and exceeding the standard. And, um, you know, really, I think there's a huge mutual respect between him and his, his room of guys where, um, you know, guys want to do well for him and, and he wants to see guys succeed. Um, he prepares us well to do it. You know, he's, he's a great coach and, and giving us different techniques and giving us different things to look at and how to study film. Um, and yeah, he, he is, he is a pretty fun guy. I mean, he's, he's, he's easy to get along with. You mentioned me throwing the medicine ball at him, but he was doing that to me and, you know, we're <laughs> chirping back and forth a little bit, but um, yeah, I mean, he, he really is a, a, a great coach and um, one of my valued relationships I, I developed while I was at Notre Dame and um, I, I can't say enough good things about him. Chris, you did play in the league Zaire in high school, right? Briefly. Yes. Are you guys still in touch? Um, what, what I know he, he was working for CBS last night. Um, t- 
talk to him or heard, but are you guys still in touch? What's that relationship like? Yeah. Um, yeah, we're in touch from time to time. I, he coached a high school team this season, I think in California. Um, yeah, he was, it was fun to watch him on CBS calling games and that super lively, uh, personality he's got on the TV <laughs> screen. So yeah, he, he was a, a really good, um, role model for me throughout high school. I mean, he's like a superstar at our high school and was at elite 11 or whatever from a pretty small school. And, um, he was kind of the guy who got me on the field as a sophomore in high school. And from what I understand, I think he had a little bit of a role in, in getting, uh, some of the coaches in their name to look at my film when I was still in high school. And yeah, just, just a really good guy. Um, one of the older guys I always looked up to and kind of took me under his wing and, and I really appreciate his leadership and, and, uh, friendship throughout my time at Notre Dame and, and at Alter and, and still today. Well, I could wrap up on this. Like you follow the team and it's, I, I always enjoy talking to like recent graduates who are players who are now fans. Cause it's like a bit of a transition. Um, and I talked to Ian book about this a couple of weeks ago where he's like, you know, freaking at team meetings. I, I can't watch the games. Like, um, you know, he's sort of living and dying with every play. Like, What's that experience been like for you? How and how have you sort of processed the season as you see all the injuries, the new quarterback, the new offensive line? Like it's a, just a completely different built team than sort of the group you played on, where the line sort of grew up together with Eichenberg and Hainsey and Ian and those guys. Yeah, it's definitely been um, an interesting transition for sure. So last year, my first year not playing was a little weird for me, just kind of watching the games and um, while I was with the 49ers for a time you know not being able to see some of the games was was strange but um now two years removed from it it's it's a little more fun I feel like I can kind of just watch it as a fan you know I still know a lot of the guys on the team which is fun for me but I'm not feeling exactly like whoa I, I was just there like this is weird that I'm not there anymore um I got to go back for a game that was so fun being back in the stadium and, and experiencing the atmosphere um as a fan instead of a player uh, but I've really enjoyed this season. I mean, it's been super unique, obviously, um, with the quarterback stuff. I mean, you got three quarterbacks who have played meaningful time and are ready to play meaningful time at any at any given moment. And um, I mean, that, I think that's a huge testament to those three guys, as well as uh, Coach Reese for keeping them all prepared and having a system where each of them can succeed if needed to be plugged in. Um, I mean, I've loved watching the receivers play. You know, the O-line has come on strong down the stretch, um, which is going to happen when you got young guys in there, kind of a little bit of a learning curve and figuring it out. And Defense is playing well. They're kind of rolling right now, last few games. I'm excited to see how the end of the season shakes up. And, you know, I think aside from probably Georgia, no one looks really dominant uh, in college football this year. So I think anything could happen, uh, holding out hope that, Notre Dame can keep climbing up the rankings. We'll see what happens. But uh, I, I really am enjoying uh, watching the games and, and scrolling Twitter during the games and uh, seeing seeing the replies to your tweets and uh, <laughs> seeing everybody get mad and and seeing Robbie Toma tell them why they shouldn't be mad. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's a fun experience for sure. We'll, we'll get you out of here on this. Prediction for this week. And also, can you send some Wapu merch to uh, Pizza Dress? We'll text you it after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah give me give me the address um 
prediction for this week. I mean, my typical prediction is Notre Dame 100, Virginia zero. <laughs> uh, you guys probably want something a little more realistic than that. Um, hey, I mean, if you have a, analysis to, if you can show your work on that, we're all for it. Well, my work is I've never thought Notre Dame would ever lose a football game in my life. Okay. And that, there's no exception this week, but 100 nothing is probably a little bit much to ask for. I think, I think the offense and defense of both of them looking really good. Um, I'm going to say Notre Dame 38, Virginia 15. That's a reasonable prediction. Thank I like you. that. Thank you. I like that. No, pr- no pressure, that sounds, Tommy. That good. Only a hundred. Only a hundred. Yeah, that's the bar. <laughs> yeah, hundred. hundred would be nice, but we'll settle for thirty-eight. I feel like Reese would go for a hundred if BK would let him. I think that's the problem. It's just like you got a head coach that's holding you back. I mean, they should have run it in against USC at the end instead of taking an E. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think there are times where Coach Kelly doesn't like to. Uh, pour it on any more than necessary which has its virtues for sure but there are other times where you'd like to see uh maybe step on some throats a little more but you know yeah. winning winning football games is winning football games and coach kelly is uh obviously a a world-class guy and uh he knows what he's doing and he wins games and that's all you can really ask for yeah he's got the formula figured out i think yeah well, by, by so. the way are you, are you wearing a shirt uh, that says the band as we do all this band talk yeah, the band Camino. Speaking of indie bands that are getting are getting bigger, I saw them for free at Notre Dame in 2019, and now they've got like a headline tour. They're selling out, and they're they're kind of popping off a little bit. So one one of my favorite bands. If you guys are into that kind of music, check it out. Kindred Spirits, Chris Fink, and uh, the band Camino. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, hey, Chris, thanks for uh, carving out some time for us to uh, reminisce and, and talk Notre Dame football. We appreciate it. It's good uh, good connecting with you as always. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. I had a great time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. That was Chris Fink, Pete Sampson favorite, Notre Dame <laughs> former walk-on, uh, a, a guy whose uh, NFL hopes and dreams are, are still very much alive as he tries to work back from a camp injury. Pete, that was one of the more fun. I, 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 I hate to make the comparison. It reminded me a little bit of Mick Asaph last year. Like I just feel like these walk-ons, <laughs> like they have nothing to like hold back. You know what I mean? Like they're just such great talkers. It's like one of us, one of us. They're just very, very easy to talk to. Well, it's, uh, I mean, it goes back to our, our favorite walk-on ever, I think, is Clark Lee. So I was going to say good, Joe Schmidt. <laughs> well, not Joe Schmidt. Come on, give me a break. Um, no, it was, it was great. It was 
It's interesting. I, I, re- I wish we had gotten almost a little bit more into Della Alexander because I think he's sort of a um, a coach that the fans sort of treat as a punching bag a little bit. Um, when, you know, look, recruiting fell off quite a bit, but has come back. Um, you, know, you sort of see that with Deion Colsey and Lorenzo Styles, you know, Tobias Merriweather and CJ Williams in the in the committed group uh, coming in next year, maybe Amari and Walker as well. So it's gotten better. Um, but I think that, I don't know, receivers, coaches, I, there's, I think there's, there's not much nuance in from fans and how they do their job. Um, and, you know, clearly there's some good development happening with, you know, Kevin Austin has turned it around a little bit here in the last four weeks. Um, you know, what they got chase Claypool from a really immature player to a second round pick, you know, Chris Fink will walk on to a productive player. Um, you know, it hasn't clicked for everybody, but um, I do get the sense talking to players who have played for Dell Alexander that they, they like him and respect him. Yeah. I mean, if, if we're ranking guys, I know like best to least in that building, he's definitely at the lower end. I don't know a whole lot about him aside from what everyone else knows about him. So yeah, um, the more we can gather um, from his players and former players, the better. Um, I, I do wish we asked Chris um, who he would move on defense or from another position to receiver since that seems like that's on the table this week with the injury to Avery Davis. I'm sure there's some intel and some behind-the-scenes practice stuff that he may be privy to that we're not. I also would love to know, I mean, I'm not shocked by this whatsoever, but I'd love to know who put the kibosh on a skydiver coming to practice and giving, <laughs> giving him a scholarship because that like, would have felt the best ever. <laughs> felt very on-brand with 2016 if they had done that. <laughs> That would yeah, that was that was fantastic. Um, because I remember that year ending with Bleacher Report trying to do a video at the year end award ceremony after a, after a four and eight season, and like the offensive linemen had to wear ugly sweaters and they're playing these goofy games, and like man, that w- it was just like the worst sequel to uh, a season with Notre Dame on Showtime that you could imagine. Uh, but yeah, the the skydiving really would have taken it over the top. Well, it's funny because like 2015, that was one of the best teams we've covered, and they had Showtime, which had its own shenanigans. That's probably another podcast for another day. But um, then they do the Bleacher Report thing, and that season just goes off the rails. I mean, even I, I think did it end with Deshaun Kaiser? I think making his NFL announcement with a Bleacher Report video. It could have been, yeah, it could have been just days after. Uh, at that Sabre Award show, he announced named he was captain. coming via named captain. Um, so yeah, that was that was good times. But um, I mean, Fink was I he was just sort of like this glue guy for that team, sort of similar to what Avery Davis is now. I mean, the journey is different going walk on for scholarship, uh, opposed to position change to position change to position change. But it was good to hear from Fink that like I think if you're a football player, you sort of see four, five, six, seven position changes the way that you and I see them. It's like, that's the last stop before the bus stop. Um, it's really hard to come back from that and be productive, but Avery Davis has done it. Um, you know, and I, I do think it's, it's interesting. I, I sort of ask this to every young receiver I talk to is like, do you know Avery Davis's story? And they're like, when I got here, I didn't, I just thought he was an old guy who was really good. Um, not somebody who'd been bounced around and probably felt like he had been jerked around a little bit. Um, just to get out of the field. So that's, that's cool that he has as much respect as he does. Cause it, uh, it certainly is deserved. And right now it's a bit of a unicorn, especially in Notre Dame. I feel like that was a norm early on with Brian Kelly, whether it was 
Ben Jackson, CJ Prosize, Troy Nicholas. Like there was so much, yeah, there was so much cross training in those early years. And even, you know, into the, the, the second half of his tenure a little bit. And now, you know, Avery Davis, very easy to take for granted. I mean, I thought the way you framed it to Chris was, was pretty on point. Like it's, you're not thinking all this, all these different directions this guy has taken every time he goes out there on the field and plays well, but it's been a pretty mm-hmm. remarkable journey and even more remarkable when you consider like it started a quarterback, like that position right. of all positions is, is, is the Holy grail. Like quarterbacks do not want to be told that they can't play quarterback. I mean, how many careers, both college and pro have we seen over the years get ruined out of pure stubbornness? Because if you're a quarterback, you're a quarterback and you won't hear anything different. And uh, Mabry Davis is, is not only, you know, accepted change, he's embraced it and he's, Turned in a pretty remarkable career. Hopefully, it's not the end of it. We'll see what happens in regards to um, next year as well. But um, really, a shame you can tell just listening to Chris Fink talk, like the, the the heartbreak that those who truly know the guy feel for him as he goes down. Yeah, I mean, it's another story for another day. But it, I mean, it's fascinating to me that Avery Davis was the quarterback that Notre Dame took after Ian Book, but before Phil Jakobic. Um I believe maybe there was, a, I, I think that is, that was the chronology of that. Um, it, so yeah, I mean, the fact that he was here and basically almost moved before really could get involved uh, with what they're doing. It's um, it, yeah, a lot of respect to him. And he's just like, I don't know how much time you've spent with him. I've only talked to him in sort of press conference settings where, Same. you know, it's a little, it's more informal now, um, you know, we're around tables and you can actually have a conversation with these guys, but like super engaging guy um, and just kind of what you'd want Notre Dame football to be about. So yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely up there on the list of like ex- extremely depressing injuries to sort of witness uh, as a neutral observer. So, all right, this weekend, you're going to be there. I am. And we'll be recording a podcast well into the night before we drive back to Richmond. I would say maybe for the Richmond airport, depending Um, on how things turn out, but good God. Yes. I think we, we both have a flight before 7am after a game that starts after 7pm the night before. It's not, it. can't uh, miss it. Just go straight from one to the other. Just not a recipe for success. Um, (laughs) could be a recipe for, uh, a good podcast though. So, uh, what, you you tweeted a little bit about Bronco, Bronco Mendenhall's uh, assessment of Brennan Armstrong, which to me is like basically the entire game in a nutshell. Um, sum up that and then tell me what happens on Saturday night. Yeah, Bronco Mendenhall didn't want to say a whole lot. He said we're planning on him playing, but like he also couched that strongly with, hey, he's our starting quarterback. He's earned the right to like if he wakes up Saturday and feels great, he's playing. Um, he went on and on later on saying, you know, essentially like, he said in so many words, like, this isn't the offense. This is Brennan Armstrong. He's that freaking good. Like, he said, yeah, I'd put him value-wise as far as what he means to any team in the country uh, ahead of anyone quarterback-wise, which is saying something considering how many big-time quarterbacks we've seen in the ACC and throughout the country this season. Um, I, I, does he play? Does he not? I don't know. I mean, I've, I've talked to people on both from both sides who don't know. Um, it, it sounds 50-50 right now. I mean, be, given who he is and given how – important he is to that team I would say more likely he plays and doesn't that's just my personal opinion um but you don't know I mean did he he said I broke a rib like you could see him mouth that in the BYU game in the fourth quarter as he signaled to come out um did he break it did he bruise it like I'm sure those things feel 
equally painful in the moment and one's a lot more severe than the other. I don't know. Um, so it, it, it's really up in the air right now whether he'll play or not. Uh, again, I would guess he does play. Well, I mean, if you're Virginia, you control your own destiny in the ACC Coastal. And if you can sit him for one more game, I know it's a big game. I know you haven't been a top 10 team in 16 years, and it's a primetime showcase for your program. Um, what's more important? I don't know. I mean, I think ultimately that will be decided by Brendan Armstrong himself, depending on how he feels when he wakes up Saturday morning. Um, I'll, for the sake of predictions, I'll say he plays. Notre Dame is a five-point favorite, 64.5 over under. Um, I think it's going over. I think Notre Dame wins this one in a, a bit of a shootout. Um, I will go Irish 41 to 34. I, yeah, I'm sort of similar mode to you. I, I have a hard time seeing Armstrong playing effectively, mm-hmm. but I don't have a hard time seeing him playing. Um, and I think that's, you know, I asked Brian Kelly about this on Monday about, you know, Ian book played with a slight rib fracture and a kidney contusion in 2018 against USC, sat out the week before against Florida State. It's when Brandon Wimbush came back and played on senior night um, and was not nearly as accurate, but was really tough. Uh, and I remember him making some kind of gutsy runs to the outside. I also remember USC blitzing the crap out of him, um, probably because they're aware that they wanted to test to see how much he could take. Um, I think Virginia's offensive line is pretty good, but Notre Dame's defensive line is better. And I, I think that they will put under Armstrong under a lot of duress. I think what sort of gets lost in the Armstrong conversation is like how good of a runner he is. And mm-hmm. if he's if a leading rusher, I think, or he's right up yeah. there. So if that's the case, um, you know, if we're talking about a guy that has, you know, has, what about 300 yards rushing? No, 271 yards rushing, which includes sacks. So it's probably more like, you know, 350. If you just remove that from their game plan, that changes Virginia's offense. Um, it's like taking Tyler Buckner and making him play like Jack Cohn. Like it doesn't, that, that really hurts an offense that is spectacular. Um, you know, you're taking the, I guess what I'm trying to say is like Brendan Armstrong leads the nation in total offense not because he's this amazing passer. He is quite good. It's that he can do both and you have to defend both when you only have to defend one because the other one's taken away by injury, that your strength as a passer sort of gets diminished as well. So that's that I think ultimately is going to drag Virginia down. Um, the fact that they don't have the quarterback run option anymore, because that's turned their offense into it's been indefensible at times. So I go Notre Dame, 45, Virginia 28. Um, Virginia's defense is so bad, just so, so bad. And I think Notre Dame sort of knows who they are defensively now. Um, You know, it's not like last week where Navy at least had a really good game plan uh, with Brian Newberry, their defense coordinator. I don't, Virginia doesn't have good defensive game plans. So I don't know why they would start this weekend. And, And to your point, this game is really probably the least important of their remaining games because it has nothing to do with them winning the ACC and they're still in play in that. So I go 45, 28 Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Virginia's run game is pretty much Brendan Armstrong. They've got a lot of really good receivers and tight ends and that, that's what can hurt you. And, and I don't want to, as important as the coastal crowd is for, for Virginia. I mean, if Brendan Armstrong can play and if he's healthy, I mean, 
this is a guy whose numbers have been off the charts and who isn't really getting talked a whole lot about by anyone other than those who have actually played against him. And I think a big part of that is six of their eight games, give or take, have been on the ACC network. Like, no one's really seen this guy nationally. And this is going to be a national showcase mm-hmm. on, uh, when, frankly, the Heisman Trophy race is wide open. Wide open. Um, if he were to beat a top 10 Notre Dame team and then win out against Pittsburgh and then rival Virginia Tech to get the ACC title game, like – those are three pretty big statement games in a year yeah. when everyone's kind of waiting for someone to make a statement. So that, that's one hypo, plausible hypothetical down the line as far as implications with this game. Uh, but but I, I think he plays. I think Notre Dame just has too much to, for Virginia's defense uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, great. I, I think Notre Dame will play this one smart offensively where you can sort of limit the damage that Virginia will ultimately do. Um, and I, I, I would think that Notre Dame's offense will be pretty efficient. So – Matt and I will be back Saturday night slash early Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, do please do not tweet at us on Sunday morning or reach out to us in any way um, because I think we'll both be sort of uh, dead men walking around the Richmond airport before we fly back to the Midwest. Uh, but it should be a fun game on Saturday night. It's sort of I'm, Matt. I think you and I probably are, share the same mindset. It's like this is the last big one for Notre Dame, uh, and I know Virginia is not ranked. And I know Stanford is a, a quote-unquote rival, but if Notre Dame gets through this one, then I think sort of that that really outside shot at making the playoff is something we can actually discuss next week. I'll be very curious to see where they land tonight because the committee doesn't really make sense about anything week to week. And then, yes, I mean, if you get through Virginia, I think you could essentially sleepwalk through the last two games. I, mean, what do you think? I, I think they just move up to nine. I think it's only a one-spot bump this week. Um, Probably. I mean – yeah, I don't think beating Navy is better than what Michigan beating Indiana, right? Like, we were splitting hairs here in Michigan seven, right. so I don't think they drop. But again, if you listen to the committee, like, it's not based off last week. Like, they start from scratch every single week, and the, the body of work and the, takes over, and the data is just different. Like, I don't, I, I, I've learned after seven and a half years of the playoff to, like, not be like, well, this happened, so that means this is going to happen. Um, that's Michigan that, I mean, State lost like, to Purdue and Notre Dame beat Purdue. Therefore, yeah. Notre Dame has to be ahead of Michigan State. Michigan I mean, State and sure. Michigan, same record. And if only they played head-to-head, right? Like, I wonder who's going to win that battle. I don't know because it's the committee. Um, so we'll see. I, I, I will be long-term, regardless of whether Notre Dame makes play or not, I'll be very curious to see if when the season is over, they are ahead of Cincinnati, regardless of record. Because I mm. just think it's trending that way. That would, be, uh, that would be interesting to watch. All right. Well, until Saturday night slash Sunday morning, He's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson. Chris Fink, thanks again for joining the show. You've been listening to the latest episode of The Shamrock. Shamrock.